are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's great to see all of you this morning. Thanks, Zach, for reading. Thanks, Vita, for that prayer. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. Man, it's just good for our hearts, right? It's good for our souls. We're going to jump into the book of Philippians this morning. Philippians chapter 4, as Zach read. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a two-week emphasis here. I'm specifically looking at prayer and fasting as a church. We think this is good and appropriate and vital. So we'll be focusing in on prayer this morning and then Uh, Next week, we'll be focusing in on fasting. Ben will be leading us uh, in that time. So it's a time of seeking the Lord, a time of seeking his guidance, a time of asking for him to provide for us. Because as we come to this season in the life of our church, that it has the potential to be unsettling, that we can be rash or full of worry. And so I'm really excited to get into this text because I believe that those things are addressed here, and these things drive us to prayer. They drive us to seek the face of Jesus. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, so it might be like riding in a fast Lamborghini. If that seems like a curious turn of phrase to you, I, uh, on the way to church this morning, I was concerned last week my, my boys weren't paying that much attention, so I said, pick any word and dad will work it into the sermon, so uh, I'll give you a guess. I just said that word there. So um, it is going to be a, a good ride this morning. <clears throat> and I want to remind you as we jump into the book of Philippians of, of Paul's love for this church, that he had, they had been with him from the beginning. That even just two weeks ago, we looked at Philippians chapter 1, remember Andy's last sermon here, and he's saying to them, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Every time I think about you, I'm thankful. So he's writing to them to encourage them in his absence. So chapter 4, verses 4, four through 7, Paul's exhorting them to do several things. And, and truthfully, these things are really difficult that he's telling them to do. So first, this is our plan this morning. We're going to look at these three exhortations to the church. We're going to look at them one by one, and then we're going to look at the how. That's the main point of this message, the how, the means by which these things are done. It's through a specific kind of prayer. And then lastly, there's a really precious, sweet promise, a result for us that awaits if we give ourselves to this kind of prayer And I'm excited that at the end of the sermon, we're going to practice what we preach a little bit. We're going to have a guided, prompted time of prayer at the end of the sermon. So so let's get into it. Uh, Chapter uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about 
anything. So three exhortations here. I'll list them out. Rejoice in the Lord always. Secondly, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Thirdly, do not be anxious about anything. About anything. How are we doing so far? Truthfully, we're being exhorted to do things that we need the Spirit's help with. I'm reminded of the words of Augustine. He said, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. That God commands certain things of us that can't happen on our own, that we need his help to walk in these. So let's pray for that as we move forward. Firstly, let's look at rejoicing in the Lord always. So rejoice, have joy, express joy in the Lord always. In every circumstance, certainly rejoicing comes really easy when things are going well, right? When they're in our favor, but it's incredibly difficult to be joyful in trying circumstances. It's also interesting that, that Paul repeats himself here, rejoice in the Lord always. You think maybe he didn't mean always, and then he goes, again, I will say rejoice. I saw some commentators that thought even in my, that, that, that second part of that might even be rendered, again, I will keep on saying rejoice. There's a, there's a future tense here, that there's this idea that, that there will be difficult times down the road, so I need to keep on encouraging you to rejoice, to be joyful in the Lord always. What's also interesting is that Paul's really clear about the object of his rejoicing, what his joy is, is in, that, that beautiful little three-word phrase, rejoice in the Lord always. So we know that Paul treasures Christ. He considers Christ to be more valuable than anything else. In fact, just the chapter before in Philippians 3, it's what he's telling them. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to what? The surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So to Paul, everything paled in comparison to the worth, the treasure of knowing Christ. And that's why he could rejoice. He could rejoice always because to him, the worth of knowing Christ Jesus surpassed everything else. Being around someone who's joyful, is, it's a pleasant thing, right? It's, it's good for the soul. It's, um, it's compelling. I believe it's even compelling to an unbeliever who can, who can notice that quality. Being around someone who's joyful and rejoicing, even in the midst of trial and tragedy, is particularly compelling. It's moving, it's stirring, it's, um, it's visceral. You, you don't forget it. I want you to put in your mind a, a time in your life. I want you to think back where you've, you've walked with or, or sat with or been with someone in tragedy. You've seen their world crumbling. You've seen their heartbreak, and yet there was this steadfast joy, this steadiness, this faithfulness. Yes, there were weeping that was appropriate, but there's this settled joy in them. Have you ever seen that in someone? It's incredibly stirring. It makes you realize the power of the gospel. And so it's helpful for me to remember when Paul is telling them to rejoice always, that he's not like kicked back in the shade, hands behind his head, you know, dictating to his scribe over here. No, he's in prison as he writes this. He's most likely chained to a guard. 
This is a man who intimately knows hardship. Remember what he said in 2 Corinthians, that five times he had received the 40 lashes less one, that three times he was beaten with rods, that once he was stoned, that three times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day he was adrift at sea through toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. Rejoice in the Lord always. This seems impossible, right? This is much more than just putting on a good face, much more than just playing the part. But his joy is rooted in something. It's grounded in something, and it's this trust and satisfaction in God. There's this deep contentment in him because of Christ. And he says that in, later in Philippians 4, that, that I've learned in whatever situation that I'm to be content in whatever situation. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret. He's got a secret of facing plenty and hunger, of abundance and need. What's his secret? It's the verse that kind of gets misused and written on athletes' you know, eye black under their eyes, 413, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that his secret to being content and joyful in any circumstance is knowing he's weak, is knowing he's dependent. He boasts in his weakness, and he knows that God is going to sustain him and come through for him. That's his secret. So our ability to hope, our ability to rejoice, it's rooted and grounded in this unshakable belief that God is good, that he loves us, and that he's in control. It's not just, hey, don't worry, be happy. Do you believe that, that he wants good for you, brother? That he's not holding out on you? Sister, do you really believe that he can satisfy you? So there are days of weeping. We all know that in this life, and that's appropriate. But for us as believers, there's a settled joy that's available to us. and We can rejoice in every circumstance. That's number one. Number two, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. My, my first draft on the sermon, I was just going to read that phrase slowly for five minutes and then move on. I, I think it says so much. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This word for reasonableness in the Original language is very rich and full. Some of your translations may take it as gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Others may take it as graciousness. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. It's this, it's this gracious forbearance with one another. This idea that people around you, not just most, but everyone, should see gentleness and grace in your life. That you should have a gracious disposition experienced by everyone. That that this world should look on Christ's followers as a group. And they should go, I may not agree with them on this, or I might think their views on this are outdated or ignorant or archaic, but man, it's hard to deny that's a reasonable and gracious group of people. Man, I would hope that could be said about our church. What if I went to your workplace? I didn't ask your boss, because everybody's nice to their boss. What if I asked the people you supervise? This person gracious? reasonable what if I went to that waitress that brought you the wrong order or what if I went to that frustrating customer service person I was on the phone with who didn't help me or what if I went to that that agitating family member who gets at you with political memes on Facebook what if I went to them and said hey is this person reasonable and gracious forbearing 
there can be, I think, just this desire in the church, maybe the American church, to, to love conflict, that we, we love contending. Sometimes we can elevate issues that aren't primary to primary issues. But I think we should do everything in our power as much as we can to live at peace, to be reasonable, to be peacemakers. Romans 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, it was common practice to remember I want you to remember this. This is a letter that Paul wrote to this Philippian church. And so common practice would be when this letter would, would, would come in, that they'd gather around, and a group, of, a community of the church would, would gather. And um, I don't know if you've been, it reminded me of when I was a child, um, and I would uh, listen to a ball game with my dad before all the ball games were televised. And there's a certain stillness in a room when someone's listening, um, and there's no, no audio. And I can imagine just the stillness in the room as they're reading this letter for the first time from the Apostle Paul to the church. And so it starts in chapter 1, and they say, hey, I, you know, Paul's saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. And they're going, yes. And then he's telling them, I'm going to send you Timothy. They're like, yes. I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. Oh, yes. Keep on going. You know, the letters are getting closer to its end, and it rolls over into what becomes chapter 4. And I wonder if it got awkward when... Chapter 4, verse 2, he said, Oh, yeah, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. That there was this conflict in this Philippian church between these two women who seemed to be honorable and upstanding women, Euodia and Syntyche. So I wonder if, if they were in the room when this was read. I wonder if the people on their side of the controversy were in the room when, they, when this was read. And so it's interesting what he says to them right before our text, um, uh, the, the verses that we're specifically looking at. In verse 2, he says, I entreat them to agree. It's that phrase again, in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. So we don't know the nature of their disagreement, and I think it's probably helpful that we don't. And it doesn't seem to be, I don't want to impose on the text, it doesn't seem that he's saying they even have to agree on every little thing or this thing. Seems that we might be able to maintain some convictions that differ, but to remember you're part of a bigger story, to keep perspective. Euodia, Syntyche, your names are both written in the, in the book of life. That's what it says. Like you, What unites you is bigger than what divides you. So if possible, pursue Peace. I think Paul knows that few things have the power to rob us of this ability to rejoice like conflict can. The way that conflict leaks out in conversations, the way that lines are drawn, sides are taken. Why be gentle? Why be reasonable? Why be forbearing? It's because we live in a family together. If we're not that way, we won't make it. We're, we, we live in a community together, and we have important things to accomplish so we argue and fight about too many things. We're less likely to be focused on the mission of the church. So pray, church. Pray that we can be a people who are gentle and gracious and clear and steady. We bring reasonableness and peace to whatever conversation we're in. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It just keeps getting harder. Number three, do not be anxious about anything. Anything. Worry robs us of our joy, right? Anxiety is a joy killer. It's really hard to be rejoicing always if we're filled with joy. I mean, if we're filled with anxiety, if we're filled with worry. 
I read this definition of worry that I liked this week. It said, worry seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by the fear of the consequence of not receiving it. I'll read it one more time. Worry seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by the fear of the consequence of not receiving it. It weighs us down. Proverbs 12, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. That's what it does to us. It affects us. It brings dread into our life. Do you dread conversations that you don't want to have? Do you rehearse them like I do over and over in the mirror? Michelle, hear me. Are you saying something there? No, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, singing a song I heard on the radio. You know, nothing to see here. Uh, I'm rehearsing this conversation that I want to have. And um, Worry is, is sitting in fear. I read a person who said it's, it's chewing on the fat of fear, just mulling it over, over and over. See, anxiety is an emotion that we experience. It's just an emotion that we experience, and I don't believe just experiencing that emotion initially is a sin. But what we do with anxious feelings and worry-filled thoughts can lead us to sin. And I wanted to, I wanted to pause right here to make just a 20-second uh, caveat right here. So the anxiety and the worry that I'm speaking of this morning um, is, is, is worry that stems from a lack of trust um, in the Lord and a lack of um, faith in, in him to come through for us. And so I do know that there are um, precious brothers and sisters in our fellowship and in our family um, who struggle with a, a clinical form of anxiety um, or maybe uh, potentially other uh, mental illness um, episodes. And so I just want you to hear from me this morning um, that that's not what I'm talking about. And so I, I would hate for you to be here this morning and feel beaten up or piled on or for me to feel like, hey, what you're struggling with, your illness is being called sin. And so I don't want you to hear that from me. I just want to say that you are loved and supported. So don't, don't hear that. Let's keep going. But we are tempted in moments of anxiety. Our temptation is to believe that we're the ones that have to be in control of what's going on because God may not be doing anything. We're tempted to believe that we have to come through because he may not come through for us. We want to grab control, take this situation into our own hands. It reminded me of the story of Abraham and, and Sarah and Hagar. Do you remember that book of Genesis? That God makes this promise to Abraham that he's going to be a great nation. He's going to have many descendants. He says, hey, look up at the sky. See all the stars. That's how many your descendants are going to be. And so they're excited about this promise. They're excited about this heir. But many, many, many years go by and Sarah struggles through infertility year after year after year to eventually she's an old woman and they begin to doubt whether God is going to fulfill this promise. So they come up with this plan. Abraham, why don't you have a child with Hagar, our, our servant girl? That might be a workaround. Maybe we can kind of bail God out. I think he may have promised a little bit more than he could do. You know, we might need to help him out here. And so they go with that plan. It's caused loads of conflict and turmoil, and they doubted that God could fill Sarah's old womb with Isaac. They doubted in that moment. Have you ever been tempted to do that, tempted to grab control of situations because we don't know if God is really going to come through with us? Have you ever been consumed with anxiety? I was reminded of a time in my life uh, as I was preparing for this. I, I remember this day well. 
I remember um, kind of being taken back by the tone in um, tone in my wife's voice as she said, <clears throat> "Did you forget to pick up the boys?" Uh, with a little bit of um, urgency to it, and uh, at which point I look at my phone, and uh, the answer is clearly yes, and um, and so. Um, and so she's like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm sitting here in a trance, staring out this window, looking, looking over my computer. Um, and so our boys um, at the time were going to school um, in Avondale, and they would walk to this pickup spot um, to be picked up by parents. And one by one all at the Avondale Park, and one by one all the kids get picked up. And our kindergarten and second grader are standing there, you know, where's dad? And... Um, a, uh, you know, it's one of my best dad fails, and, uh, and so finally a friend sees these, you know, kids and uh, calls Michelle and says, hey, you know, word of the wise, you know, your boys are standing out on, you know, Fifth Avenue here, and, um, <clears throat> and so, uh, the, you know, it, it all worked out fine. They're with us. We got them, um, but um, the sad part is, you know, what, what, was so, what was so troubling, what was so consuming that I <clears throat> forget my my sons. <clears throat> the truth is just being filled with anxiety over a certain situation and, and being worried about outcomes I may not be able to control. You ever been there? Truthfully, the source of that anxiety was a conflict within our church. Sometimes that's the hardest. Worry and anxiety can be consuming. They eat at us hard to get your mind off of, hard to enjoy anything else, hard to get to sleep. Hear these words of Christ. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So rejoice in the Lord always. Remain gracious and reasonable to everyone. Don't ever worry about anything. It's a tough list. But how? How do we do that? I think the text gives us a, a glimpse into that. It's through prayer. That's how we do this. That prayer is our means of walking in these things. Not just prayer. It's a specific kind, a specific flavor of prayer. Here, verse 6 continues, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So in everything. We need to grow in this. You see, prayer demonstrates our trust in God. It demonstrates our awareness of our needs. So if we struggle to pray, like at times I do, it's because either, number one, we think we don't need the help, or number two, we aren't convinced that God is willing and able to provide it. So don't be anxious about anything so what's he calling us to what's the replacement behavior but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God the supplication word 
It means request or petition, that we're encouraged to ask God for things. We're encouraged to do that. You have not because you ask not. So don't be anxious. Pray. I want you right now to to think about some of the things that you might be fearful or anxious about. I want you to put this mental picture in your mind that that those things, I want you to picture them as, as kindling. As, as fuel to start a fire, that they are fuel for our supplication. They should drive us to our knees, that anxious feelings and worry, worry-filled thoughts, those are prompts. Those are signals that we need to seek the Lord, that we begin to pray our fears. We pray our worries. We cast them on the Lord. First Peter tells us this, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrased uh, Psalm 55 in the message. Isn't this good? He says, pile your troubles up on God's shoulders. He'll carry your load. He'll help you out. Pile them up. He's got it. Pile your troubles up on his shoulders. Cast your burdens on him. He loves you. He knows your fears and anxieties. He's a sympathetic high priest. But there's something here I want you to see in verse 6. There's a specific way that we make supplication. Do you see it? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, this, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. That's kind of interesting, right? That typically we think of, of being thankful or being grateful. We don't, we don't really think about that going right hand in hand with like asking for things. And so I think the point here is that we, it's the posture in which we approach God, that we don't come to God shaking our fists, demanding, ungrateful, not with this sense of entitlement. He doesn't owe us anything. But we come with thankful hearts. Even when we're asking him of things, we're grateful for who he is. We're aware of what he's done. We're we're aware of how he's blessed us already. So, So yes, come to me, but do it with gratitude and thankfulness. Because that reveals a lot about our heart, doesn't it? Doesn't doesn't this sense of entitlement reveal a lot about someone and a sense of gratitude reveal a lot about someone? If we're grateful, I think it means a couple things. I think number one, it means that we understand that God is good. I think number two, we understand that we don't deserve it, that we're grateful for it, his grace, his blessing. So in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So don't be anxious, brother or sister. Pray. Use that fear and anxiety as fuel to pray bold, confident, thankful prayers to God. Lastly, verse 7, there's a great result from this. So don't be anxious. Pray about everything. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That there is a peace available to us through thankful supplication. And who in here, I mean, who in here wouldn't go, well, I could use a, a little more peace for my heart and mind? This word guard, it's a military term. You can picture it, that, that you have a garrison of peace guarding your hearts and your minds. And it's beyond human understanding. It's this type of peace that we can't really just account for. It's much more than just thinking positively. 
when we're feeling anxious in our minds, our thoughts, our emotions, they can really do a number on us. I think, 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 trying to figure out a way to keep this terrible thing from happening. Our emotions sometimes seem out of control. There's a peace that guards our minds, our thoughts. There's a peace that guards our hearts, our emotions. So bring your prayers to God. He doesn't say that he's always going to grant your request in the way that you want them. But he says that he will give you peace. So call out to him. Um, At our home, our, our, um, our bedroom is on the main level and our kids' bedroom is upstairs. And so we like that, but our, um, our house is, it's a, almost a hundred year old house and it's creaky and wood floors and you feel like you can hear everything. And so um, sometimes or uh, oftentimes maybe, um, we, uh, Michelle and I will be asleep and we'll be awakened by the sound of like kids' footsteps coming down the stairs. And, uh, and, and at this point, by the pace and the heaviness of them, we've got a pretty good idea, like, which kid it is, you know? And so um, I'm thinking, no, no, don't come down here. Don't come down here. And, uh, and then inevitably the door will swing open, and there's this little person silhouette standing in the doorway. And I'm like, oh, you know? And they say, um, they say several things, but one of the most common things they say is, I had a bad dream. I had a bad dream. And so even me, even this incredibly sinful, selfish, sleep-deprived, grumpy man, I'm, I'm at this point, five kids in, I'm, I'm undefeated. I've never once yelled at those kids and said, get out of here, you know, thrown a pillow at them or, or barked at them, even though there's a part of me that might want to. It just, it wells up. The words come out. They say, hey, come here, son. Come here, sweetheart. Hold them, pat their back, you're safe. It was just a dream. You're safe. See, a child's instinctive response when they're fearful is to call out to their parent when they're troubled. But they can't experience the peace and assurance that a parent can provide until they cry out for that. The peace comes through our crying out, through our supplication, with thanksgiving. There's a peace of God which passes understanding that can guard our hearts and minds if we will cry out for that. And so, church, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for me. I'm praying that we would be more joyful, more reasonable, non-anxious, peace-filled people through thankful prayer to God. I'm praying that for us this morning. We need that. I wanted to, as we close, as I mentioned at the beginning, have a, a time of just guided prayer. It's, it's wonderful to, to speak about prayer and to read about prayer. Um, I think it's probably even better to practice that. And so I wanted to do that now. Guys, if y'all wanted, I think the, the band was going to come back up. And what I'm going to do is just give you some prompts as we work through this text uh, to begin to, to work in these things, to practice these things, to not let this just be a, a mental ascent to a formula, but to actually put, um, put into practice some of these things. We're going to have a guided prayer time through this text and then pray for some specific needs uh, for our church, and then, and then we'll be done. So, so would you pray with me, please? Father, we do come to you, Lord, just 
confident, not because of our own merit, not because of the working of our hands, Lord, but because of the sufficient uh, work of Christ on our behalf. Father, we boldly approach you, Lord. Father, we also humbly and gratefully approach you this morning. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray specifically for that brother or that sister who just feels weighed down, troubled, fearful, anxious. I pray for them this morning. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give them a peace that passes understanding, Lord, that they would reach out to you. This has been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham. <laughs>